On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. Iowans have been responsible. Our businesses are doing the right thing and we're going to continue to open up and hopefully eventually we'll get things back to complete normal. That is the goal sooner rather than later. Even more of our state has reopened since we last talked. We'll hear what Governor Kim Reynolds has to say about how Iowa businesses reacted during the pandemic shutdown. We'll tell you about a consulting program at the University of Northern Iowa that advises businesses from start to succession. And we'll meet the co-owner of a new business that helps nonprofits with their capital growth. This is the Iowa Business Report for the second weekend of June 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. The website says that Advance Iowa is the state's comprehensive consulting program designed to work with mid-sized companies to enhance their growth. But their work encompasses much more than even that. Dan Benkin is the program director and lead consultant for Advance Iowa. Our programming is focused all outwardly from the university on business assistance, be it entrepreneurial for those just looking to start something, all the way to those looking to exit the company. My boss, uh, Paul Kinghorn, often refers to it as the cradle to the grave of uh, business ownership. And this is within a broader department within the university. Explain the connection because you're operating your entity, but this is part of a broader whole, correct? Our Advanced Iowa program consists of of several programs. We are nestled within what's called business and community services at UNI under the direction of Randy Pilkington. If you know him, um, a lot of people do. So we're kind of the business, community, environmental outreach arm of the university to the state. We work in all 99 counties across the state doing projects all over river to river. So we're not just the Northeast Iowa type of program by any stretch. And really, it seems to fit very nicely with how the university has been positioning itself in so many aspects where it is really, if you will, Iowa's university. And that's why you're not just limiting yourself to one little corner of the state. You may have an office in Cedar Falls, but your work takes you literally everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. With obviously the present uh, circumstances uh, excluded, we're, we're always on the road doing work across the state. And now we're uh, doing most of that work virtually, of course, but hopefully sooner than later, that'll be over with and, and, and we can get back to face-to-face meetings. But yep, we do projects in every county every year. What's a typical call that you get? Is it somebody who has an idea and they just don't know how to set up a business framework and market it? Is it someone looking to expand? What is most commonly associated with the inquiries you get from people? We have buckets, I'd like to call it, of people who we work with. So we do work with a lot of startups who have an idea, concept, and need a little help moving it along, be it uh, with, with business planning and financial planning and modeling and that kind of thing, talking through their idea, talking through their marketing plan, those kinds of things. So that's kind of the cradle aspect, if you will. On the other end of the curve, we've got the grave, so to speak, 
it's really probably a misnomer because what we're trying to do is help companies helping current owners sell, but hopefully a new owner coming into that company. So there's sort of a transitionary period there, of course. So up another big bucket is we work with company owners who are looking to sell and we help them through the succession planning process. We help them identify buyers even. We help them with valuation strategies and, and giving them a range of value for what their company might be worth under our Succession Iowa program. We take them through the process of, of preparing them mentally and, and everything else for, for selling the company. We f- refer to them often as founder Frank or founder Frida. And so they're getting ready to sell. And Iowa has so many of those types of owners. So there's a big, that's a big bucket for us to work in. Another bucket that we work in is with family-owned companies. And family-owned companies have some unique opportunities and challenges, of course, too. And uh, so we have a whole suite of programming just dedicated to family-owned companies. So we have the only family-focused business center in Iowa. So we do that work for the state. So those are three big buckets. Another bucket for us is innovation and innovation assistance. So companies that are looking to move beyond what has made them successful thus far and and how do we take it to the next level or whatever. We work with companies large and small on innovation processes and concepts. So those are kind of the big buckets of who we get, who we talked with. It occurs to me that one person's, and and I'll just keep the metaphor going, one person's grave is another person's cradle. Because as as these people are transitioning out, they know how to build a business. They don't know how to dispose of a business. And they have so much invested in it emotionally as well as financially. You're able to introduce the dance partners, if you will, because I suppose people come to you and say, we really need to step back. We really need to retire. Maybe it's because of age or health, whatever. Mm-hmm. We don't know the first thing about how to find the next generation. We don't have any family that wants it. We don't have any current employees. You have people, though, who are contacting you saying we'd, we'd really like an opportunity, and so you're the conduit. We do, absolutely. Uh, we have lots of buyers out there uh, getting in touch with us, be it um, what I would call organic buyer looking to get into a business. They know they want to stop working for the man, so to speak, and and want to do something. Maybe they don't have a great idea of their own and and, and would love to take on something that's already going and, and prove profitable. How often do you have people who contact you and say, well, we started this company and we thought we knew what was coming. We thought we knew what we were doing, but we're just in a world of hurt in terms of how to turn the corner. In other words, We've been pushing the rock up a hill, but we just don't know if we're on the right path. Does that come across very often in in the inquiries you get? Yeah, and I would say that typically something is manifesting itself for them to know they're not on the right path. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they're just going to continue down a path because it worked yesterday and it worked last week and it worked two two years ago. So why rock the boat? Usually when we get a call, it's because, well, that path isn't working anymore because a competitor moved in, uh, somebody bought out their competition and is shaking up the price structure. Uh, the big client closed the doors or is experiencing slowness or whatever. That's where we kind of can come in and help talking with them, help work with them on how do we, how do we grow what we have. Dan Benkin is the program director and lead consultant for Advance Iowa. 
We spoke via Zoom a week ago. There's much more to discuss about their work, including a specialized business succession program. We'll examine that and more in a separate segment next month. In the meantime, more information is online at AdvanceIowa.com. Still to come, the view from the governor's chair and helping nonprofits from organizations to government accurately assess their potential for growth. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. As Iowa reopens for business, take time to support the stores that drive our state's economy. I'm Nicole Crane of the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, inviting you to continue to safely patronize these businesses that provide jobs for your neighbors and revenue to grow our economy. It will take some work, but Iowans aren't shy about that. Learn more about Iowa's recovery at iowaabi.org. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Three months ago, the COVID-19 pandemic led to a global economic shutdown. Iowa was no exception, but the reopening has begun with the latest sign being a removal of the percentage capacity limitation for businesses. I spoke with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds as that development was taking effect on Friday morning. I asked her about how Iowa business and industry responded to the coronavirus situation. You know, it made it easier for me because as I worked with various businesses, I tried to bring a lot of them Uh, into some of the press conferences that I was doing every day because I wanted Iowans to hear firsthand the lengths that they were going to to not only protect their employees, which was critically important to them, but to make sure that their clients, when they came in, also felt safe. And oftentimes, you know, these are like family members. And so, you know, they really took and went to the, took the extra steps and went to the extra length to make sure that they had a safe environment, not only for uh, their employees, but for their clientele as well. And I just, that I, I heard the stories um, time and time again and just was so appreciative of the extra steps that they took to really, you know, continue to, to open in a safe and responsible manner. And it's, and it's working. So because of that, I think consumer confidence is starting to be restored. You see more and more people going out. They feel comfortable going to restaurants and to movies and to ball games. And so as that consumer confidence continues to grow and we see our numbers continue to go down, um, you know, things are slowly, you know, getting back to normal. But it's, it's, it's happening uh, on a daily basis and it's, it's positive. It's a positive thing. The year 2020 started with great optimism, including the governor's major investment initiative. That had to be set aside, but she told me it's not been forgotten. It was a sad day when I had to, like, just pause, invest in Iowa. I truly believe it was a, you know, a generational piece of legislation that really was forward-looking and and really put in place some significant reforms and changes that, you know, will will help Iowa grow for the next generation. So we're going to, you know, work on um, issues over the interim, and that's going to continue to be, you know, um, a, a policy that, an initiative that, excuse me, an initiative that we're going to continue to work on 
moving forward. So it may look a little different next year, but you know, I think uh, the, the components of it, I think, are the right thing to do and the right direction to head. And so we're going to take a kind of step back, take a look at it, and see how we can refresh it maybe just a little bit and move forward. Governor Kim Reynolds spoke to me from her office in the state capitol in Des Moines on Friday morning. Coming up, meet a company that opened for business while many others were still closed this spring. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. In this week's business profile, we meet Jim Brown, who with partner Chuck Rowe started Midwest Studies Group, based in Cedar Falls, late last month. And as you'll learn, it seems to be a logical progression for Brown, following experience in business and government service. Midwest Studies Group works with nonprofits, and so we saw a need for an objective and transparent type of way to have a community reporting mechanism. And so we offer two main services that provide a perfect fit for any nonprofit or I guess a partner agency, community impact studies and feasibility studies is what we do. And break that down just a little bit more for people who may not understand. The feasibility study is for what and why would a nonprofit, be it a community service organization or a government, need such a thing? It is a little bit different terminology uh, for folks not in the depths of nonprofits. So a feasibility study is for a group desiring or planning for a capital campaign. And that capital campaign could be, I need to raise a million dollars to add a wing to our building, or we're going to go out and see about spending some dollars uh, to hire two or three people. And so they can take advantages of a third party very affordable third party for these studies. And so uh, our reports give nonprofits the chance to learn what improvements they might need to make before they take on a capital campaign. And that affords them, I guess, early feedback. Maybe they're too high, maybe they're too low, or maybe they're right on target based off of stakeholders' interviews with, again, a third party. The community impact studies, this is a little bit different. Our staff here will interview community members and donors provide the nonprofit with a report which helps them give guidance and direction for success. So uh, it's a tremendous tool for nonprofits to use for grants, donor asks, board development, program development, capacity building. That is sort of giving a pulse of, again, these stakeholders to the nonprofit in terms of, are we on track with our strategic plan? Are we on track with our goals? What's good about that is sort of the third-party transparency. So as an example, Jeff, if you showed up at a banquet in a pink three-piece suit, those closest to you are going to say, Jeff, you look great tonight. A third party might come along and say, hey, Jeff, pink may not be in. It may not match your eyes. You might try a different colored suit. So that helps the nonprofits get away from those they know best, which is great and moves it to a third party that can kind of take that on their shoulders and give them the great feedback. I'm making the note, no pink suit at a banquet, probably <laughs> helpful. But it is true that many times people, without this sort of foundation, 
they'll say, we should build a new building, and it's X million dollars, whatever it is, because nothing is cheap these days. And then they can't understand why people aren't donating. It's probably because they had not accurately taken the pulse or the temperature of the donor base or the community, and all of a sudden they have a very expensive failure on their hands. Yes, and it that has long-lasting implications. And you know, and I get that because I've been a part of feasibility studies and community impact studies on the other end, being interviewed and great organizations with great causes, their hearts are absolutely in the right place. So you got to be careful of your, you know, surrounding yourself with those sort of folks with the ultimate optimism without taking that step back and say, let's have some practical input to your point. So they don't go raise a million or again, they might leave money on the table. Maybe they need to raise five because folks are so enthusiastic with what they're doing. And then again, with the community impact studies, it's just good to get that, that feedback. And we're getting a lot of good feedback again with the COVID pandemic. Folks are really trying to say, Hey, you know, we might be down a little bit. What's this impact have on our goals that we set three months ago or six months ago in our board meeting whether it be budget, mission, and all those other good things. It sounds like this is more nuanced or more specifically tailored than what the average nonprofit professional would be able to do or or have staff members who could do. Is that the reason why they don't just do it internally, that it is a little bit more nuanced and to your earlier point, the benefit of the third-party approach? Absolutely. Yep. And besides the fact, number one, they may not have the expertise, but they probably do because they understand that in the world of nonprofits, depending, depending upon how long they've been associated with the nonprofit. But then also, I mentioned before, it's very objective and very transparent. We're, we're not going to be afraid to uh, ask. We're not going to be afraid to get the feedback. It is confidential, always. But... Um, Let's face it, most directors, presidents, or CEOs of nonprofits are busy, and so they don't have the time to go interview 25 to 30 people on the phone. If you can imagine that being contained within anyone's schedule, that that's a, a pretty high task or pretty high ask for a director or a, an executive director or a president. It also seems that you're offering a limited menu of services. You're not a full-blown marketing company that might do feasibility studies occasionally as part of something much broader. And so you're offering a very tailored service to these individuals, and they don't have to worry that, in essence, another shoe's going to drop because the recommendation might be, if you will, tainted by recommending services that you offer of a three- and a five-year plan. You're very different in that respect. That's a very good point. Yes. And and that is part of the industry, I guess, is potentially dueling conflicts there. And there's some great organization out there, uh, organizations as well, doing some great things. There's no doubt about it. What we wanted to focus on was this, the, the specificity of what we are offering. That's not without saying that we've also reached out to other organizations to partner if someone says, boy, you know, the, the community impact study said we might have to do our redo our strategic plan. That's not us. But we do have a couple of individuals we like and we trust. So that referral is there and, and we don't get any piece of that referral. It's just, OK, we don't do this. Please talk to this group. Another organization for our printing. Same situation. You know, we don't have a printing press in our living room <laughs> or in our offices. So, you know, it's one of those things where we will certainly give them direction. 
but we're not a part of it in terms of any potential viewing of uh, you know dueling conflicts there. Our offices are our living rooms these days, it, it appears. <laughs> Let me ask you finally, what is the most rewarding thing that you anticipate coming out of this? For those who are not aware of your background, you were involved in business. You were involved as the mayor of the city of Cedar Falls. So you've seen this from a variety of viewpoints. What do you anticipate as you sit back a year from now, having done this for a period of months, being the, the thing that resonates most directly with you personally? Sure. Great question, because I'll preface my answer with if uh, you'd asked me four months ago what I'd be doing, I would not have dreamt it would be in this area. But because of, of my mindset, um, as, as you well know, I was on the school board before becoming mayor, so I'm civic minded anyway. Um, while I did help lead the city, what I found fascinating, I said this publicly many a times, is the generosity of so many people, the organizations, how they how they disperse funds for grants just that whole world of nonprofits, so to speak, um, really kind of touches uh, my heart in terms of, of uh, who I'm speaking to. And to answer your question specifically, you know, a year from now, I'm just going to really enjoy uh, talking to folks. And after they receive our, our um, you know, our, our studies, our, our information, that we can help them make a big difference towards the missions that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're called upon. Jim Brown is co-founder of Midwest Studies Group. You can learn more online at midweststudiesgroup.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. Next week, we'll hear about a program for women business owners in Iowa, and you'll meet a restaurant owner who used the recent shutdown to remodel and to take his food to customers. That and more next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. You'll also find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, including Apple, iHeart, and Google. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.